This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode of Keeping Carlson is sponsored in part by FanDuel. Hockey is happening, which means daily fantasy hockey on FanDuel. FanDuel has something for everyone, including new contests every day, starting at just $1. And now you can take on Elon and I in our Keeping Carlson Listener League. Our contests open each Monday night and run for each Tuesday's games. Check it out sometime around 7 or 8 p.m. on Monday. FanDuel.com slash K-A-R-L for all the details and to join in. See you there. Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. Hoi här kommer Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. Ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores. Carlson. Don't wait for me to ask Brian because you know the answer. Go ahead and add Tristan Jari. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me is the maestro of the matchup himself, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. Let's make beautiful music together on this brand new episode. So much to get to. Where are we going to start? We are going to start with all of the goalies who are injured. But before we get to that, let's, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, proudly presented by the best and number one fantasy hockey website out there. Every day, you got your articles, your daily ramblings. I use their tools all the time. Like, whenever I want to see the line combinations, like, in real time while we're doing the show, I check out the tool over at Frozen Pools, also starting goalies. It's the best site out there. you got to be checking it out every day to be at your best in your fantasy hockey pool. So check it out, DauberHockey.com. Brian, okay. Every goalie is injured. So sad, but maybe not so sad in some cases for both the NHL teams and the fantasy owners who get to maybe replace the goalies with temporarily better options. I don't know. So let's talk about it. First of all, Matt Murray was injured on Monday against Philly for the Penguins. He has a lower body injury. Coach Mike Sullivan says he's week to week. So we don't know how long he'll be out. But you know what? Matt Murray has not been the tier one goalie that we were expecting him to be at the start of the year. He only has a 906 save percentage in 21 games. And he has an okay, but not elite 11 wins. Like there's a whole bunch of goalies who have more wins than Matt Murray, including Vasilevsky, Frederick Anderson, Rene, Bobrovsky, Hellebuck, Holtby, Allen. Like, you know, it's a long list of goalies who have more wins than Matt Murray and who have a much better save percentage than him. So maybe it's not the worst thing for the Penguins for Murray to be a goalie going on vacation since Tristan Jari has come in and he's been great. Two straight games versus Buffalo, two big wins, a 34 safe shutout on Friday, and then a 5-1 win 
stopping 32 shots yesterday. Overall on the year, Jari has a 937 save percentage in six games played. So potentially not the worst thing for the Penguins. Also maybe not the worst thing for Matt Murray owners who get to stash him in IR if they were able to get Tristan Jari as a replacement. Brian, so with Murray out two to four weeks, maybe longer, I'd imagine Jari becomes one of the best goalies to own in fantasy short term right now. Obviously add him if somehow he's still available. On its own, playing for Pittsburgh should be the greatest thing. So yeah, go ahead and pick up Jari before I finish that entire thought. Because listen, this is going to end with you having to go pick him up anyway if he happens to still be available. But here's the thing about playing goalie for Pittsburgh this year. You'd think it would be the greatest thing. Um, It sure hasn't been for Matt Murray. A safe percentage, as you mentioned, Elon, in the tank. And the Penguins are actually offering up the seventh highest number of shots against per game almost a third into the season, and that's translated into the 11th highest number of expected goals against, which isn't awful, but may not quite be what you'd have expected from the defending Stanley Cup champions. In any case, they've still managed to be tied in the NHL for eighth in the win category, and if the Penguins could manage 11 wins with Murray and Niemi turning in the performances that they have, you can still expect a healthy dose of wins with Jari and Ned. And I won't read too much into this, but the Penguins also seem to have been posting better shot attempt battle numbers as Jari has been in the crease, but that may only be a function of them playing twice against Buffalo and not so much about trying to protect him better than they protected Murray. I added Tristan Jari in two leagues and was outbid for him in another. Elon, he was grabbed from right under our nose as we debated who to drop for him in our joint league. So yeah, he's an obvious add across the board. Yeah, that was kind of disappointing. We were like, discussing and finally we came to the decision of who we dropped just to see that jari had just been added sometimes indecision can kill you you know we always tell people to tweet at us or ask us on facebook if you're a patron for your fantasy hockey questions but sometimes people are asking us these questions waiting for our answer turns out uh, you had to just make the move so sometimes you have to use your judgment we obviously made a mistake there but yeah tristan jari obviously had those two great games against buffalo we'll see how he does against a bit more challenging competition we'll get to buffalo a little later in the show they are not doing very well right now on the plus side for Pittsburgh, Evgeny Malkin returned on Friday after missing four games. He put up a cool one goal, two assists in two games versus Buffalo. He's up to 24 points in 24 games on the season. Evgeny Malkin, like we all know, like this is like the least surprising thing in the world. He gets injured, but when he plays, he's the most valuable guy or one of the most valuable guys you could own. Here are the line combos for Pittsburgh yesterday. They were running Gensel, Kessel, and Malkin and Crosby, Hornfist, and Shiri, And then their regular top power play, you know, Hornfist and Kessel, Malkin, Crosby, and then Latang, a D. So everything looks to be normal. Everything that we expected going into the season. And everyone in that top six is looking great, except for one sad, notable exception. So on the plus side, Crosby has 13 points in his last six games. Kessel, nine points in his last six. Gensel, eight. Hornquist, six. Malkin has those three points in two games since he's returned. Connor Sheary, though, only one point in those last six games. Brian, is Connor Sheary, and actually, let me correct myself, Connor Sherry as I apparently have learned his name is pronounced. Is Connor Sherry a snoozer at this point? Even on line one with Crosby, he's doing nothing. He's had a couple of good runs this year, but overall he only has 12 points in 28 games played. That is not a fantasy-relevant stat line. No, definitely not a fantasy-relevant stat line. It's safe to call him a snoozer, and it's almost starting to feel like that secondary group of Pittsburgh forwards behind Crosby and Malkin and Kessel, they're a streaky as really any of the other groups in the league that we say, well, you know, grab this guy right now and then you can stream him out later. Like I'm thinking Carolina and Minnesota, perhaps. These guys just can't be relied upon to be steady producers this year, which is a bummer because of how high their production can be when they are 
on track. So uh, if you have Sherry right now, I guess you could probably let him go if your league isn't so deep that you won't be able to get him back once he does get back on track. Hmm, I'm surprised you say that you're lumping Gensel and Hornfist, I guess, in with Connor Sherry. Those are people also that currently they're hot, but you're saying if they slowed down, they'd be cyclable. I kind of feel like Sherry's shown himself to be on a lower level than those guys, though. Obviously, maybe I'm just looking at the last few games and deciding that. I know earlier in the year there was a stretch where Gensel wasn't looking so great. Well, that's that's fair. I mean, we had Gensel being the one that you probably had to own all year long going into the season and Sherry being someone who might have an opportunity. And if he does grab him, great. Hornfist being unreliable in general. So maybe it's not totally fair, but it is like based on the first 25 games of the season and how this year has gone for them. I, I think it's sort of fair, but you're right. Not necessarily. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have been too quick to, to put them in the same group as those Carolina and Minnesota guys. Yeah. Well, either way, we'll let you know if you need to drop Gensel or Hornfist later on. Right now, you definitely want to own those guys. And Connor Sherry, you're saying that you could stream them out. So there you go. Surprising that we're going to recommend dropping someone who's playing with Crosby. Obviously, it depends who you're going to be able to add, but he's showing us that just being in that spot doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be able to get the points. Also, he's not on the top power play, and a lot of the points are coming from there. Okay, Brian, the next injury to talk about, another goalie, Cam Talbot, has an upper body injury. He's projected to miss at least two weeks, and Coach Todd McClellan has said it could be longer. Yikes. He's another goalie that we had high hopes hopes for going into this year and he's been a huge disappointment he has a 903 save percentage in 22 games only 10 wins unfortunately unlike with the penguins the backup on edmonton laurent brassois has been even worse he has an 872 save percentage in eight games played the good news for brassois is he finally picked up his first win of the season yesterday in a 7-5 win over calgary but the bad news is that like more bad news though is he kind of sucked like yesterday was more so bad news he choked in the third period letting in four goals almost lost the game for the Oilers I have a feeling that this other guy Nick Ellis who's the backup right now he seems to be in line to get a start at this point after Brossois also lost a game against Toronto earlier in the week letting in a bunch of goals do you think that Nick Ellis gets the start in Edmonton's next game on Wednesday who is Nick Ellis I feel like it's really tough to hold Brossois if you added him because Edmonton plays like Wednesday and and Brossois might not even play and they don't play again until the weekend yeah here we are talking about who is going to play games for the Oilers in net. And you'd think this is a lesson that maybe they'd have learned last year when they needed Cam Talbot to be their workhorse because their backup was Jonas Gustafsson. Not to say that Brassois isn't worth a shot as number two, and perhaps their idea going into this year was that he was going to develop into that backup goalie. Sure, worth a shot, but he barely has had any work to date, so we still don't know who he is. And this is a terribly hard time to be stepping into that Edmonton crease. Wouldn't it be nice if the Oilers had someone just a little more experienced or proven to come in for the job, like, say, I don't know, Calvin Pickard, but they don't. And so we're talking about Laurent Brassois and also Nick Ellis, who previously played behind Calgary prospect John Gillies in college at Providence. Uh, he and Brassois have shared the crease in AHL Bakersfield for a couple of years. Uh, Brassois has had a higher save percentage one of those years, and then Ellis had the higher save percentage of the most recent years. Look, I, I don't know who's going to start. It sure is starting to seem like the tide is turning towards Ellis starting. I have no idea, though. That's just based on public sentiment. I think the starting goalie decision that the Oilers make for that night, though, for their next game, is going to be a good indication of where they're at. They're, they're either going to tip towards stubbornly favoring Brassois, saying he's their number two guy, they're sticking with him, or they're going to be happy to go with Nick Ellis, which will be a sign that, hey, we're going to play whichever goalie least recently blew it, and hopefully one of these guys cannot blow it 
for too many games in a row because the Oilers seem like maybe, just maybe, they're in a spot where they could turn their season around, but that's not going to happen without stability in the crease. Yeah, for sure. So Edmonton's next game is on Wednesday, like I said, against Philadelphia. So you might want to uh, load up on some Philly guys if you're playing Daily Fantasy on FanDuel. Just just an idea. Anyway, yeah, so since we're speaking about the Oilers, to make matters worse, not only is Talbot injured, uh, their defense is hurting. Taylor Hall equivalent, according to Oilers management, Adam Larson is on the IR with an upper body injury. Uh, usually when someone gets injured and we'll do this later in the show also usually when someone gets injured there's someone who benefits from it like someone stepping into his spot obviously Adam Larson isn't really an offensive guy but I just wonder if some players are going to get more ice time like Adam Larson played a lot seems like Chris Russell has gotten some extra ice time in these last couple of games he actually has a goal and three assists in his last three games and Chris Russell is not known for getting points so it's pretty nice to see him producing he also scored a goal that didn't count for his stat line because it was in his own net against Toronto but we don't need to talk about that He's also, of course, putting up a bunch of blocks. Chris Russell's currently second in the league in blocks. Chat room, or I guess there's a delay, so we won't be able to do this. But it, ask yourself, do you know who is first in the league in blocks? It's not Chris Russell. It's someone else. Brian, did you know before you read my notes? No, I did not. Thank you okay. for sharing your notes with me. <laughs> yeah, Nikita Zaitsev leads the league in blocks. Chris Russell seconds. Anyways, Russell's getting more ice time. That's obviously more opportunity for blocks. And also, like I said, he's been getting some points lately. Darnell Nurse has also stepped up. He has three points in his last two games. Are either of these guys on your radar right now, especially if you're in bangers and mash leagues? Nurse and Russell help you in peripherals, and they're getting points right now. Yeah, they already were on my radar for those reasons, but it's not like there's suddenly any more reason to like them. Maybe a little bit more ice time, but it's not like there's offense to be replaced with Larson out. He had just four points in 25 games, so you can continue looking to nurse and Russell for peripherals and maybe a point or two here and there, but nothing wildly different from what we're used to seeing from them over the last, well, month, two months, the whole season so far. And of course, since we're talking about the Oilers' D, we have to mention Oscar Clefbaum, who finally got an assist yesterday after going pointless in seven. I feel kind of like if you're really excited about one of your players getting an assist, that might be a sign that it's time to let go of that player, because normally I don't like have a big party every time one of my players gets a point. But I was so happy to see, yes, a point from Clefbaum. But yeah, he only has seven points in 26 games now on the season Technically, he's still the top power play defenseman there. But like at some point, people have to decide if they're going to drop him or hold on. Brian, are you going to give people permission to drop Oscar Clefbaum right now? Or do you think we all still need to just hold on stubbornly and wait? Maybe this one assist against Calgary is a sign of things to come. Of course, there is the fact that Andre Sekera has been practicing with the team and could join as soon as next week. So who knows? Like If he can steal the job, maybe Andre Sekera is someone who we're going to have to be looking at soon as a good Oilers D-man to own. If Klefkbaum could not get an assist on seven goals, that would be even more cause for alarm. And we're actually going to talk about Neuler, who did not even get an assist or a goal on seven goals coming up. Uh, stubborn is the word to describe my my stick for Klefkbaum, or that's been my advice. Coming out of my drafts, he was one of the guys. I was really sad that I didn't get in any of my pools. Uh, I grabbed him as a free agent in one of them like a month ago, and I finally just gave up on him there. In a weekly league, I, of course, I had guys like Carlson, Gosper, and Klingberg to fill my three spots for defensemen most weeks anyway. So I guess whether you drop Clefbaum really comes down to a matter of how much confidence you've got that you can re-add him if and when he starts moving towards the upside we'd imagined. And that upside still remains, but clearly he's burning a hole in your roster all this time while you wait. So it's a matter of urgency. It's a matter of availability and free agency. I'm going to say for the first time, like, yeah, this is getting ridiculous. You might 
want to consider letting him go if it seems like an okay play based on all that other context. As for Sekera, when he does come back into the lineup, it'll be interesting. He's going to have all the weight of Edmonton, the entire fan base management team, when he re-enters that lineup. And we'll just see how much he's asked to do on the power play in addition to what will undoubtedly be the heaviest even strength responsibilities assigned to him. So he could be worth a speculative stash if you can add a player on IR to have him in case he does step onto that power play, which has been so bad that perhaps it could use a jolt from some new blood. Okay, and yeah, Brian, like you said, let's, of course, since we're doing a segment with the Oilers, we have to mention their line combos because they change every single day. Yesterday, they had McDavid with Lucic and Pugliarvi, and then Dreisaitl with Strom and Kajula, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins with Camilleri and Maroon. So I think it was last week we talked about Camilleri playing with McDavid. The week before, we were talking about Kajula playing with McDavid. Now it's Pugliarvi in the spot with McDavid and Lucic. This is huge for Pugliarvi, who had actually been scratched before. So you go from being scratched in the press box to being on line one for the last two games. And he had no points, but seven shots versus Toronto on Thursday, and then two goals yesterday at Calgary. I know it's like becoming like a broken record, but is it time for people to once again pounce on Jesse Pugliarvi? Or is this starting to become like a fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situation? Well, it's just a matter of how, like, are we seeing things for the first time, or is this just a retread? I mean, two goals on 11 shots in two games for Pugliarvi is a nice little scoring line, and I'm into it. I'm just, like you're saying, still a little cautious about it, still being careful not to drop any solid pieces that I won't be able to retrieve if I decide that, hey, this didn't work out in the end and I want my other guy back. Okay, and then the guy I think you were hinting at, Brian, should people be alarmed that Leon Dreisaitl is pointless in three games? The Oilers have scored 13 goals in those last three games, and Dreisaitl has zero points. That line he's on with Ryan Strom and Drake Kajula does not seem like a good place to be to break that pointless streak. Drysdale's someone who a lot of people drafted in like the top two rounds of their pools going into this year. He had over 70 points last year. This is a disaster. Total disaster. Except, is it actually? Because uh, you look at his numbers and Drysdale still is on a 67-point pace. And that's with zero power play points he's done all that at even strength he is in the running to be this year's Brandon Saad except the difference between him and Saad is that Saad was actually not getting any power play time while Dreisaitl is pretty entrenched on that top unit that's struggling in Edmonton again zero power play points to speak of I checked that in three different places because of how unbelievable it sounded uh so on the whole I mean how how alarmed can you really be still almost a 70 point pace no power play contributions, and uh, he might not be doing exactly what you wanted, but you can't panic about him just yet. He's not doing that badly. But Brian, I mean, this almost 70-point pace, a lot of that I'm sure came from playing on the McDavid line, or at least on a line with like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Right now he's, I guess, centering like Kajula and Strom. How, how many points can they get? Well, exactly, and you have to figure if that's not going to work, he'll be moved around Elsewhere, maybe the Oilers will start stacking their lines again. Something has to give. He'll be part of the solution whenever it does. Even if it's a solution that barely, like, still doesn't even get them to the playoffs, he's going to be okay. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. And obviously the Oilers change their lines all the time. Though goal scoring has not been their problem lately. It's suppressing goals that has been an issue. Okay, let's move on to another goalie injury. Corey Crawford has an undisclosed injury. Will miss at least three games, though he's already missed two games and he might be back 
next week. So this one is not as alarming as the other two, though it was kind of surprising that he just got put on IR all of a sudden. Uh, finally, we could talk about an injured goalie who's living up to the hype we had for him going into the year. Crawford has an amazing 930 save percentage in 21 games, which is a big reason why Chicago has won as many games as they have. Anton Forsberg is a starter for now. Like I said, not super long-term here, but of course, maybe at least one or two more games for Forsberg. Actually, he's playing today. Has Chicago started playing today yet? Yes, they are in the second period against LA, still 0-0. So Forsberg having another good game. Overall, on the season, Forsberg hasn't been great. He currently only holds a 9-10 save percentage in eight games played, or at least he did going into today. He took a 3-2 shootout loss yesterday at Dallas, played really well in that game, stopping 33 of 35. Brian, like as of now, how would you rank Jari, Brassois, and Forsberg in terms of who you'd most want to own while their team's starters are injured? I'm going to go, this shouldn't be so hard. Jari, Forsberg, and then Brassois. And that's more of a ranking of how likely their teams are to win than anything. Right. But also, I think it's a fair ranking of like Brassois showing himself to be maybe not very good. But that could not. Uh, no, we, we can't jump to conclusions. Last year, Brassois had an amazing penalty kill save percentage that helped him. I think his number last year was a 928 in eight appearances. Like he did really well. And then he just hasn't had a lot of time and he's been abysmal on the penalty kill too. So is Cam Talbot. It seems like it, it might be a team-wide issue that's sinking both their save percentages, maybe not fully responsible, but uh, I don't know. I'm not ready to put Brassad down completely. I am just going for the for the guys who I think are, are on a better managed team who has a better chance to win. Okay, that's fair. If you're listening to this and you've gotten this far in the episode and you and Tristan Jari is available to you and you still haven't added him, go add him, okay? Please, because Matt Murray, we don't even know how long he'll be out. All right, anyways, we're on Chicago. Tonight will be Chicago's fifth game of the week. So a lot of people were streaming Chicago guys going into the week after last week's episode. If you streamed in Alex Debrinkit, you hit the jackpot as he's put up four goals and two assists in the four games so far. No points yet today as the game is scoreless. Especially impressive that Debrinkit is getting all these points considering he's been putting up these numbers on line three with Hartman and Sharp and he's not on the top power play. So Debrinkit is really creating his own offense, it seems like. Do you expect this run from Alex Debrinkit to continue moving forward? Or is this the kind of situation where you added him on Monday, he did a great job for you this week, and now you have to simply thank him for his service and cut bait now that this amazing week's schedule is over? Well, you know, you look at his numbers, and he has just one goal and one assist in his last three games. Of course, that's sliced a different way, leaving out the hat trick. So a little cheeky, but uh, that's sort of where I'm landing here. He did have two or more shots on goal in four consecutive contests heading into tonight's game. So you can look up to see if he's done it in five. Uh, That's a good sign, uh, as is a small but steady increase in ice time in each of the four games he's played this week. Obviously, whether or not you keep Dabrinkit depends on your free agency options, but he's not someone I'm getting overly attached to. One reason why I might hold on to Dabrinkit, I think I heard some speculation about him maybe getting into the top six at some point. Like Richard Panik's really been doing nothing playing with Taves and Saad. So you'd imagine if Dabrinkit keeps on rolling, maybe he gets himself a spot on that top line. Brian, like, so he's doing well. Also, Schmaltz and Anisimov, the guys playing with Patrick Kane, they had pretty good weeks. Schmaltz put up five points in the four games he's played so far. Anisimov had a couple of goals. How would you rank these three forwards moving forward in the Chicago's top six between Schmaltz, Anisimov, and Dabrinkit? Who would you want to own moving forward? Or do you say drop them all now that they go back to normal schedules? Well, first, I'm going to say that this is all based on where they're deployed right now. If Dabrinkit does end up you know, moving up the lineup and staying there, then of course his value goes up and I would not let go of him if that happened. 
but based on their current deployments, well, playing with Patrick Kane is a pretty good thing. I would take Anisimov first because at least he's getting a few more shots than Schmaltz, who I take second, and then Debrinkit just because I really, really don't like his deployment. I, you remember going into the year, he was one of the players I was the most excited about as a rookie, and then he just has not gotten the turns that I think he'd need to really turn heads, so to speak. So if he does get up there, then he jumps to the top of the list. As long as he isn't, he's at the bottom. So, but wait, like if you own him, you'd have to drop him, you know, for like a Schmaltz or an ECMAP. I, I feel like I'd actually put Debrinkit first as the guy I'd want the most on Chicago, just because he's doing so well. And I imagine he's going to get that opportunity very soon since Panic has been doing so badly. If your free agent options instead of Debrinkit are like Anisimov and like Schmaltz, I would, yeah, I would hang on to Debrinkit for the upside there. Just for another, I don't know, hold him for another week and see how high he can climb. Well, that's not what you said before. I'm, I'm confused. What, well, what's <laughs> I think, well, what I said is it depends on who you have to drop, obviously. Like, I'm asking you, if you can have one of those guys moving forward right now, who do you want? What I'm saying is that if I were to pick one of the three to give me the best chance at getting points in the next game, it would be Anisimov. But if you like want to wait and you want to wait to see uh, like a bit more of a speculative move, then Debrinkit probably has the best upside. That's what I'm trying to say. Upside is the word I'm going for here. Okay. Well, sounds good. And I did say that Chicago doesn't have the same. They don't play five games next week, but they actually do have a pretty good schedule. They play Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. So three off day games. Brian, since we're on Chicago, any change of heart about your expectation of Brent Seabrook bouncing back to being like a 35, 40 point D man? Like you said, you thought he would be able to do earlier on in the year when he started his big slump. Seabrook at this point, he only has five points in the 25 games he's played since his three point game to start the season. For some reason, he was given top power play time yesterday. So there's still an opportunity for Brent Seabrook, but man, he's doing worse than uh, Oscar Kleffbaum. Yeah, he has not been very good. And I, I am having a bit of a change of heart. I mean, getting that top power play time for Brent Seabrook, that's the reason I stayed relatively bullish on him. I'm definitely weakening. Now, you look at Forsling and Franson, they're at the same or better point paces than him. And I still feel that the opportunities are there for Seabrook, that they're going to still be there for Seabrook to get up to, I'm even downgrading here to a 30 or 35 point pace, but I'm really losing faith in him being able to take advantage of those opportunities. He's had two golden ones tonight based on uh, the little snippets I've been catching of the game and he hasn't cashed in on either starting to just be worried that this is a bit of a lost year for Brent Seabrook's offense. I'm considering dropping him. How about that? I can't wait to tweet out a screenshot of when I think it was about a month ago when I messaged you saying, I predicted a month you're going to drop Brent Seabrook. So that would actually be very poetic if it turns out to be exactly a month. I don't remember the exact date. By the way, thank you to Matt in the chat room for reminding me about this Chicago good schedule for next week. Okay, we've got so much more to talk about. Still a bunch of injuries. Finally, we're past goalie injuries. At least we've got injuries, outjuries, hot streaks, cold streaks, all the stuff you come to keep me Carlson for. Before we get into those, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor for this week's episode. And those are our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, it's holiday season time. You know what that means? You got to buy gifts. And I've read that the best, most memorable gifts are not 
products, their experiences. And what is a better experience than a ticket to a sporting event or a concert? Go see a hockey game. Have a great time. And you know what? Buying sports to tickets and concerts, it can be complicated. It can be confusing. But there's an easier way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. Fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I find it super easy. You search for the thing you want. You can sort it by price. You can sort it by value, which is really cool. Like, am I getting a good deal? You know, you get the final price. Like, there's no hidden fees at the end. It's fantastic. Check it out. SeatGeek. Best of all, Elon, keeping Carlson listeners are going to get $20 off their very first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code KEEPING. That's promo code KEEPING for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Try it out. Okay, Brian. So over to Minnesota, Jared Spurgeon will be out for at least two weeks with a groin injury. Very annoying. Like they said he was like had an illness and he was going to maybe miss a game. And I have him and I was like, okay, whatever. That sucks. I guess I'm going to miss a game from him. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's out for two weeks, maybe longer with this groin injury. Frustrating. Brian, I actually went and added Matt Dumba, which was looking really smart. Matt Dumba has taken Spurgeon's place on the top power plays, fitting in really nicely. He's seen a big bump in ice time in his last two games. And he's put up a goal and two assists in that span would you recommend people jump on Matt Dumba for as long as Spurgeon is out if Matt Dumba's available in free agency? And is there any chance that if Dumba does well, he can steal Spurgeon's job, like even once Spurgeon comes back? It's not as if Spurgeon was blowing people away. He's been having a pretty good season, but not like insane, or at least lately Spurgeon has kind of cooled off. You can go and get Matt Dumba for now, but the thing is that he's had plenty of chances to outplay Jared Spurgeon for this role over the past couple of years. He hasn't, so unless he performs heads and tails above what Spurgeon had been doing, both offensively and defensively, you have to think that once Spurgeon's healthy, he gets this spot back. That's fair, but yeah, for now, I would definitely jump on Matt Dumba if you're in the type of league where it's hard to find defensemen who can produce offensively. It's a good spot to be in on the top power play over in Minnesota, along with Suter and Granlund and I think Coyle and Zucker. Not Coyle, obviously. Koivu and Zucker. Coyle actually has like a nice point streak going on. He's on the third line. He doesn't take any shots, but he keeps on getting an assist every game, so keep your eye out also for Charlie Coyle. Brian, you said in the last episode that you still see Coyle as being like a 55-point guy, and I thought to myself, come on, no way, from the like bottom him six in Minnesota, but so far he's uh, proving you right and me wrong. Uh, okay, let's go to the Rangers. Mika Zibanejad has a concussion, is out indefinitely. Really tough break for Zibanejad after he started this year so strong. 22 points in 24 games. Hopefully he'll come back soon and continue to build on this amazing season he's been having. In the meantime, David DeHarnay has jumped in to center Kreider and Buchnevich on line one and on the top power play. He had three assists versus Florida on Tuesday. A power play goal versus Carolina on Friday. And yeah, like David DeHarnay, who knew? He was doing nothing. I think he was in the like the fourth line or something. The Rangers decided they didn't want to shake up their other lines. They just decided to bump David DeHarnay all the way up. To be honest, I'll bet you most people didn't even realize that he was on the Rangers going into this week. Anyway, I guess, do people need to go out and add DeHarnay for as long as the bandage ad is injured? Or is it like for sure DeHarnay is going to cool down very soon? No, I think you have to go get him based on where he's playing in the lineup. But also keep your expectations tempered about... Well, what he'll do there the whole time and if he'll be able to hold the role. Going back in DeHarnay's career, uh, his peak came in his first full 82-game season as a 25-year-old with Montreal when he scored 16 goals, 
44 assists for 60 points. That was back in 2011, 2012. And he's been a 50-point player a couple times since then, but never anything more and not even close in the couple years preceding this current one. Back in that career high-scoring season two, DeHarnay also set a career high for shots on goal with 98. He's never had more than 98 shots in 80 to 82 games. Uh, He has 18 shots in 23 games so far this season. Anyway, I'm just painting a picture for you of what you can expect from a now 31-year-old David DeHarnay getting top-line duties for the first time in, I don't know, at least three or four years. The good news for him is that there really are zero other natural center options. I don't know, maybe Kevin Hayes gets a turn at some point, but really, DeHarnay has that spot as long as he can do a half-decent job of holding it. So that's why he makes for a good short-term ad. Just make sure you're expecting little to no shots from him, very much unlike Zibanejad. Right, yeah. It kind of sounds like you're describing a Henrik Sedin light. You're getting him for his assists and potential power play assists. Okay, on the blue line for the Rangers, Ryan McDonough is back. He had an assist in his return versus Carolina. Five blocks also. He played almost 23 minutes, got second power play time. So, you know, no rust there. McDonough's back and continuing his great season. He's up to 13 points in 22 games, which is good for a 48-point pace. No way McDonough continues a 48-point pace as only the second power play defenseman on the Rangers, right? I feel like now might be a sell-high time if possible. There might, might be a way. I'm kind of thinking he can keep maybe not 48 points of this out, but a chunk of it. His on-ice shot attempt numbers are noticeably higher this year, and McDonough's on-ice shooting percentages look pretty sustainable. So, yeah, 48 might be a little high, but he's looking like a decent bet to manage a 40-point pace if he can keep up what he's doing, and that's probably a floor. Sell high if you can get guaranteed 45 or more points. Elon, I have an interesting proposal for you. What if I had McDonough and you had Clefbaum and I made you that offer? Would you take it? Whoa. Yeah, I would take it. You would take McDonough. You're, you're cutting bait on Clefbaum for sure. Well, I was asking if people should drop Clefbaum to free agency in general. And that was like not assuming someone like McDonough would be available. So I think I... I think I would. Yeah, like maybe I would regret it later. But if I'm especially contending now, if I'm not like far and away in first place and I could afford to wait, like especially now with the concern that Sekiro will come back and maybe even bump Clefbaum, I take McDonough, who's doing really well, even from this bad role. He's not going to get into a worse role. I'd enjoy the production from McDonough now that he's putting up. So yeah, I think I'd do it. You wouldn't? No, it's really, really tempting. I mean, the shots are still coming for Clefbaum, so it's hard to like, you, you. at least you still get some value to go with the the hoped for upside from him but uh yeah mcdonough is like if i had mcdonough in the league where i dropped clefbaum i probably wouldn't have dropped him i guess i'll put it that way also uh, mcdonough blocks as jesse's saying in the chat room clefbaum also sometimes blocks but i think mcdonough's better there okay next injury let's go to san jose Eunice donskoy is on the ir for the sharks with an undisclosed injury i know you're probably thinking this is not fantasy relevant why are you even talking about this well it is kind of relevant because he was spending some time on line one with the joes thornton and pavelski for the last couple of games that job has now gone to timo meyer who broke a long pointless streak with an assist on friday nothing yesterday and only one shot on goal in each of his last three games even though he's generally a heavy shooter 
Brian, is there anything here for Timo Meyer? He's the kind of guy going into the season. We saw his high shot counts from last year, and we thought maybe he could be a good sleeper for the year, maybe potentially the next Arvidsson, someone who got shots you know, before his breakout year, but just nothing was going in. Like It sucks now that Meyer got to line one, and now he's stopped shooting, but it's obviously only over the last three games that I'm looking at. He's had some big shooting games earlier on in the year. Is there anything here with Timo Meyer now that he's on line one, or do you think he's still just like a guy that you need to leave in free agency? San Jose has to be one of the teams where if a guy gets on line one, you have the least likely chance of it panning out. Timo Meyer is an example of that. He's thrown some decent games together lately, shot attempt and scoring chance wise. But until that is showing consistently on the score sheet, you can probably leave him be. Uh, put Timo Meyer on your watch list. But that's as committed a move as you need to make with him at the moment. Yeah, I added him, Brian, like a couple on Friday for his Friday and Saturday games. I didn't have that many options. I needed to grab a right wing specifically, and he got that assist on Friday, and I was like, woo, I'm so smart. And then yesterday, like a one shot, nothing else. Like it was, it was kind of disappointing, but I don't know. He plays on Monday. I might hold him for San Jose's Monday game, give him one last shot before throwing him to the curb if he doesn't do anything, since after that, San Jose doesn't play until Thursday. Uh, for the Sharks in Nets, Martin Jones was injured, and he missed a couple of games. But he's back. In his absence, though, Aaron Dell came in and put up two gems of games. He had a 3-1 win over Philly, a 2-1 win at Florida. Like, two really great games for Aaron Dell. Ben Jones came back yesterday, and he led in five goals on 43 shots. Overall, Martin Jones is having a good season. He has a 926 save percentage. So you'd imagine he gets a bit of a leash. Though, maybe with San Jose, like, not exactly having wins coming so easily to them, do they maybe go with the hot hand and start playing Aaron Dell for a little bit since he was on a nice run while Jones was injured? Well, it's not like Jones is cold, so to speak. Like, if he was posting Matt Murray-like low numbers to start the year, then, yeah, I might be more inclined to say Aaron Dell gets to keep going. But I think... I think Martin Jones is going to continue being the number one goalie there because he has not really failed the team yet. Uh, going into the year, he was a goalie that Elon, I think I had I had odds or the highest odds on him being someone who lost his job at some point, being downgraded for an entrenched number one down to 1A or even 1B. And then Dell laid an egg in his first outing this year. Then Jones did really well the rest of the way. I think for now, it's still a clear 1-2 situation. Jones won Dell two. Okay, well, Brian, I'm trying to help us come up with a plan in our joint <laughs> league. We've lost, you know, uh, Auntie Ranta. He might come back soon, so that'll be nice. We've lost Cam Talbot. All we have right now is Braden Holtby in a league where goalies are worth a lot of points. We need to add someone. Aaron Dell's out there. Sounds like you're saying he's not going to be our magic bullet. Maybe this guy on Edmonton, who I already forget his name. Who's the backup for Brossois right now again? Nick Ellis. Yeah, maybe Nick Ellis will be the guy that saves us. I mean, we're doing well, but I kind of I like having a couple good goalies. Okay, next injury. Kyle Connor is injured. This is a late addition to our show notes because he didn't play today. He's day-to-day. He has a lower body injury. According to Roto World, he didn't take part in the morning skate. He's listed as day-to-day. Coach Paul Maurice said the injury is not believed to be serious. And yeah, so... Uh, He was on a really nice run. He has been for a while. I wasn't going to bring him up on the show today because he's just continuing to do what he'd been doing for a while. Top line, top power play, great spot. Looks like today Matthew Perot took that spot from him. And Winnipeg is destroying the Senators. I think we were going to talk about the Sens at the end of the show. Maybe we could even just talk about them now. Like They are so terrible. Looks like Ottawa's only taken 12 shots 
in two periods. He only had three shots in the first. It was okay. Let me focus. Kyle Connor injured. Matthew Perot taking his spot on the top line, and he has a goal and two assists. So if you saw this news and grabbed Matthew Perot, who's already been on a pretty good run overall, even when he came back and only played in the bottom six, like definitely Perot is 100% worth owning for as long as he's on that top line. Having a great game today, as are a lot of Jets. Uh, Brian Little actually only has one assist today. I'm saying that as if it's a bad thing, but he's been on such a nice run. And so, yeah, he's continuing it today with another point. He's on a hot streak, eight points in his last eight going into today. I guess it's not a surprise, right? Like Ehlers and Line were doing nothing. And then Brian Little was on a big cold streak. Now Ehlers is doing like really well. Line is on a pretty decent run himself. And of course, Brian Little is going hot right along with him. I feel like Brian Little is at this point a must own, right? Like even grab him over Matthew Perot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my answer. Matthew Perot, I'm just looking at his last 10 games, 11 points in those 10 games. Of course, it helps to be on the top line tonight. He's also done well. The thing is, he's been scoring from like low deployment. He's been scoring from the third line, the fourth line, the second power play unit. He hasn't been taking a lot of shots, but he's still been getting goals. So there's been a lot over the last couple of weeks since Perot returned for me to say, ah, you know, like that's exciting, but nothing long term. But he still keeps doing it. I guess keep an eye out and see what happens to Kyle Connor. We expect he'll be back Tuesday. That's the latest we've heard. So uh, if he is, then I expect Perot to move out. If he doesn't, I would like him over Brian Little. Brian Little has also been very good, though. Four goals, five assists for nine points in his last 10, 20 shots on goal. Just to contrast that with his first 16 games, he had just six points and 16 shots. Anyone who drafted him had likely dropped him. It's about time he got going. The thing about Little and why I hesitated as a must-add over Perot is that his ice time is still way down. So, like, you can add him, but just make sure he's still producing. He's going to have to squeeze points into 12, 15 minutes of ice. I know that's a big range, but it's still a lower one than he's had in any previous season. Last year, he averaged more than 17 minutes. Two years ago, he averaged nearly 20 minutes. And three years ago, the same thing. So that's why I'm still a little little iffy on Brian Little. I'm very happy to see this production return. Happy to see him getting a couple shots on goal per game. Hopefully that continues. I would, uh, if Perot gets bumped out of the top six, yes, I prefer Brian Little. Okay, uh, and he probably will once Connor is back. Brian, want to take a guess as to who's been on the top power play in Kyle Connor's spot? I'll give you a clue. It's not Matthew Perot. So Wheeler, Shifley, Line, Bufflin, and who? Who do you think is the fifth guy there today? Ehlers? Nope. I give up. Adam Lowry. Oh, of course. He was, I was my next guess. <laughs> uh, okay. Speaking of odd choices to replace players. So another guy who I added late to the doc, apparently Ryan Johansson got injured yesterday in Nashville's game. He like ran into Fiala. It's an, like it, right now we don't know like anything really about this injury, like how long he'll be out. It looks like Nick Benino took the spot on line one, I guess at the end of the game to play with Forsberg and Arvidsson. So that would be a good spot for Nick Benino. Uh, it's kind of early. We don't know anything, but I'd add him to your watch list. It would be a good spot to be. We'll see who takes that top power play spot if Johansson is injured. If it's Benino, I feel like you got to take a look at him. If you're adding someone like David DeHarnay, then you probably want to be adding Nick Benino in a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah, that all sounds good to me. Are we going to skip right past Josh Morrissey and Tyler Myers? I thought they were worth bringing up. 
Eh, I don't know. I was going to skip it, but since you're so into them, Josh Morrissey, he's on a roll. I guess he has four points in his last three games. He doesn't have any points today, even though Winnipeg has scored five times. I feel like it's pretty obvious. Myers is the one who we said last week we'd want over Truba, and Myers has a goal today. Truba has an assist today, for what it's worth, but Myers is the one getting that second power play time. I'd imagine we're ranking these guys still. Well, Myers first, and then who do you like at this point between Morrissey and Jacob Truba? Like, has Truba fallen to like the fourth best defenseman to own fantasy-wise on Winnipeg? Well, it's hard to say now that he has a point tonight, but Tyler Myers does have a power play goal. I think Jacob Truba has fallen that far in terms of fantasy relevance. Between Morrissey and Myers, uh, they're both pretty even. They get the peripherals. They get the occasional points. Uh, I give the edge to Tyler Myers because of his power play two time. But uh, yeah, both are probably ahead of Truba. And just as soon as I say that, Truba is about to go on a run. Well, I think it was the last time you mentioned Truba being worth dropping. He got a goal, and now today we were planning to talk about him still doing nothing, and he has that assist today. So we'll see if Truba could keep it going. Probably not. It's tough to predict him being able to do very much if he's not even getting second-unit power play time. What a strange fall for him. Reminds me of Tobias Enstrom, who was like really strong on Winnipeg, then out of nowhere just disappeared offensively. So he's still even on the team. He's probably injured, if I were to guess. Enstrom, let me take a quick look. Yeah, he's not playing today. Yeah, he's he's injured. As always. Okay, uh, we're out of injuries now. Let's get to a big trade. Uh, New Jersey and Anaheim swapped a couple of guys. Vatanen goes to New Jersey and Adam Henrique goes to Anaheim. Let's start in Anaheim. As we've discussed, they've been ravaged with injuries. Almost a full, really nice top six is injured right now. And Getzlaff, Kessler, Eves, Silverberg, Raquel. The top line yesterday for the Ducks was Henrique. Blandisi and Corey Perry. Like Blandisi and Henrik just came to the team and they were on the top line with Corey Perry. Somehow they made it to the shootout versus Nashville before losing. Anyway, uh, so back to this trade. The good news for Adam Henrik and his owners is he comes right into a top line, top power play role in Anaheim. He has two points in two games so far. The bad news though is that once Getzlaff and Kessler come back, this could become a third-line role for Adam Henrique. And it looks like Getzlaff and Kessler are both skating with the team, and they could be back as soon as next week, if not the week before. So, Brian, what's your take on where Adam Henrique will fit in, and what do you think his fantasy upside will be once this team is at least mostly healthy? His fantasy upside once everyone is healthy is no higher than before. So I don't think this trade does much for his value. In fact, if anything, there's less of a route into the top six than he had in New Jersey. Once everyone is back in the lineup in Anaheim, Henrique is probably a third line center and not likely to have much in the way of line mates, maybe like Cogliano and Kashe, or maybe even a touch better if and when Patrick E's returns. So he could factor into a top nine if everybody happens to be healthy in Anaheim at once. And that's a big if, the way injuries have been plaguing the Ducks this season. Right. By the way, though, Brian, it's possible that by the end of this month, if they have no more bad luck, everyone might be back. Raquel is apparently going to be back soon. Silverberg, he's only like day-to-day. Getzlaff, Kessler, like I said, all likely to return. Could Anaheim be like a really sneaky team to bet on at this point? Like... Maybe in fantasy, you could try to trade for someone like John Gibson. Seems like they could be pretty good. Like, I personally actually just stashed Ryan Kessler in one of my shallow leagues, the Bangers and Mash League. So I'm excited to get him and his hits. And he, by the way, he had near 60 points last year, like a decent number of power play points as well in the top power play. So if Ryan Kessler comes back and he's available, now might be a good time to grab him. But anyways, I was talking about Gibson. 
Seems like Anaheim, like, like Anaheim looks like a good team that's had really bad luck with injuries, but they have a really strong looking top six. And like you said, maybe even a strong top nine. They've lost Vatanen on defense, but Montour has been really good in, you know, and he wasn't like a big name for them last year. So it seems like they could be really good. Yeah, they could be good. Uh, here's the thing, though, because we haven't seen how well they can play when they're all there. And if you think Anaheim is doing a decent job of withstanding their situation, you're right in terms of standings points. The problem is, is that what they've been able to manage with their depleted core is ranked dead last in score-adjusted shot attempt share. Teams in that spot don't often come near the playoffs, let alone contend for the playoffs. So we'll see. Of course, it's fair to expect the Ducks to be better when Kessler and company are back, and that should help John Gibson uh, give him a better chance to win night in, night out. But I'm still uh, I'm still a little iffy on just how great Anaheim is going to be, though it's really only because I just haven't seen enough of them this year. Yeah, well, you saw them last year, and they were good. And, like, I don't think you should, like, be too concerned that Derek Grant and Chris Wagner <laughs> haven't been able to, like, keep their whatever score-adjusted shot attempts up. Like, I think that Kessler and Getzlaff and Raquel and Silverberg and Adam Henrique and Corey Perry will do a decent job. You'd think so. And I do think so. I'm just bringing up their numbers from last year for shot attempt share. And they were, yeah, they were 17th in the league. So they're going to need to still at least be that good to make the playoffs. Yeah, well, anyway, just saying, John Gibson might be, it might be a nice buy low opportunity for him because, you know, he has had a lot to work with lately. I guess I should mention, I brought him up just now, Chris Wagner, who is this guy? Like, he's been hitting up a storm lately, starting to look like one of the best guys to own for hits. He's up to 94 hits in 27 games on the year, and he has some offense to go along with it this year. He has 13 points in 27 games, which isn't really so bad for someone who's helping you so much in peripherals. Is there anything to this Chris Wagner? Do you think he could keep up this, like, 40-point pace to go along with all these hits? I wouldn't say there is a ton of offensive upside there in Chris Wagner, the 2010 fifth round pick of the Anaheim Ducks. He's 26 now. He had just 22 points in 118 NHL games prior to picking up four points in his last four games. And whenever you're referencing that large an amount of games played and you're cutting out just the last four, you know, there's there's been a big uptick there. He, look, he was never a standout producer in the AHL either. But good deployment can help make Chris Wagner sort of relevant, which is what's happening now. And the hits are lovely if your league counts those, but you should not be counting on points from him for very long. Yeah, and I guess once all these guys come back, he could become one of these players who gets healthy scratched or gets really low minutes, and that's obviously going to cut into his hits. Okay, over in New Jersey, it looks like Sammy Vatnin has not bumped Will Butcher from the top power play with Hall, Zajac, Bratt, and Boyle. So Vatnin was playing on the second power play yesterday with Hishir, Johansson, Stafford, and Severson. It's been two games for Sammy Vatnin over on the Devils. He has no points, two shots in two games. Not too exciting. Kind of seems to me like Vatten is now just another Damon Severson, which is pretty fantasy uh, negligible in my view. Yeah, I mean, he's better than Damon Severson, but Sammy Vatten doesn't really even have a ton of room to go up from where he was in Anaheim in his fantasy relevance if he doesn't get featured on New Jersey's top power play unit. In Anaheim, he was already seeing 20 or 21 minutes a game. He saw 23 in his Devils debut, then 20 minutes in the next. Uh, his upside remains, but there's not a ton of scoring to go around in Vatanen's new digs. So he's probably just like a bottom defenseman in deeper leagues for now. So if, if you're in a league where there's 12 teams and let's say there are 50 or more defensemen carried, he might be able to sneak in as, as your fourth guy or fifth guy. 
Yeah, I'd take like Tyler Myers over Sammy Vatnin. Me too. I, yeah, okay. Uh, so I think we're on the same page with him. Also on the Devils, Marcus Johansson returned after being out for a few games. He's played two games so far. No points, no shots in his first game. Two shots yesterday at Arizona. Looks like the lines got shaken up in this 5 nothing loss to Arizona yesterday. So it's hard to know where Johansson's going to end up moving forward. Taylor Hall was split up from Jesper Bratt and Hischer at some point during the game. And then Hall ended up playing with Stafford and Zajac and Johansson ended up playing with Brad and Hisher. So it's hard to know. Like that seems like an okay spot for Johansson though. It kind of seems like his fantasy upside is going to be limited since if he's swapping with Hall, that means he's probably not going to be playing with Taylor Hall. If they're the two left wings and how good can someone on New Jersey be if he's not going to be playing with Taylor Hall. It's been a really disappointing start for Marcus Johansson in his devil's career. I was actually really bummed in a couple drafts. I was trying to target him late. Elon, I think we might have actually gotten him late in our joint league and uh, never panned out. Even before the injury, things just weren't working out. I really hoped for Johansson to be a key cog in the devil offense, which hasn't happened. He's also barely played with the same two line mates for two or three consecutive games, which I think might be a part of this. So maybe now that he's back, Jersey will find a spot for him to stay and build some chemistry Uh, Of course, the scenario you just mentioned where he switched lines midway through the game isn't going to help with that. I'm hoping, I don't know, after five or six games, the Devils coaching staff now knows what the rest of the lineup is going to offer. Hopefully they can find a place for him to fit and stay. Right. Okay. So maybe add Marcus Johansson or Johansson. I know that Ryan Johansson has said it's specifically a hard J. I remember at the start of the year, uh, there was a like a press release or not a press release, but when the beat writers shared that he had specifically asked this year to be called Marcus Johansson. All right, so all the Johansons are Johansson. I apologize. Okay, anyways, maybe add Johansson to your watch list. Doesn't seem like you necessarily need to add him right now, but if he could end up on a power play, at least with Taylor Hall, that would be nice. All right, more outjuries. Looks like the Bruins are pretty much healthy now, something that the Ducks can aspire to be soon. Uh, So over in Boston, Brad Marchand is back. He had a goal and three assists in his two games since returning, up to 19 points in 16 games on the year. He's so good. Brian, and I made a trade in one of my leagues, a shallower league. I traded Connor Hellebuck for Brad Marchand while he was injured. I know you said actually on the show, you don't like trading for injured players and you made me a bit scared, but I decided in the end of the day, like someone who had 85 points last year, just too hard to resist. And Marchand right now looking great. Like I said, 19 points in 16 games, playing on a line with Bergeron and Pasternak. Can't get much better than that though. Patrice Bergeron has actually been a little bit cold lately. His assist yesterday broke a three-game pointless streak. He only has three points in his last nine games. Is there anything to be concerned about with Patrice Bergeron? Or is maybe now a prime by low time now that Marshawn is back? Maybe, Brian, we should trade for Patrice Bergeron or try to in our joint league because we desperately need a center and Bergeron's on this little cold streak. I really like how you try and sneak in the questions you want to ask me about our joint league on the show because this is the only time you know you have my full undivided attention through the <laughs> week to give to our joint team. Yeah, I'm going to keep it coming as we keep going. We really need a center and a goalie. <laughs> well, buying low on Patrice Bergeron is something I would recommend for us. Uh, I'm not too perturbed by what's been happening with his production lately. He scored but once on his last 31 shots over nine games. So the shots are coming. He's going to score on more than one in 31 the rest of the way. And having Marshawn back means even if Patrice Bergeron's own percentages go cold as they have, look, he'll still have Marshawn's good play to try and cash in on. And that's why I'm still uh, still feeling okay about Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, I for sure would go for Bergeron right now. And having Marshawn back just helps him to be even better. 
Brian, are there any other Bruins forwards worth owning at this point, aside from this top line with Pasternak, Marshawn, and Bergeron? Like, okay, David Krejci is centering line two with Anders Bjork and Ryan Spooner, who are both back also from injuries. Krejci has nine points in 12 games on the year, which is good, but he's no longer on the top power play with Marshawn back. Uh, Spooner is back. He actually has a three-game point streak going, so obviously this line two may not be that bad, but still, like, are we really going to tell people to pick up Ryan Spooner? David Backus is also back from injury. He's playing with Danton Heinen and Riley Nash. Backus has no, no points, four shots since returning. He hits, but doesn't look like he'll do much else. Is there really anyone? Like, I guess Krejci would be the top guy, but I kind of feel like even he isn't exciting me very much right now. No, I can see why. I still think he's probably David Krejci is the one that you want to own of all the other Bruins. Uh, the thing with him that isn't exciting is just 15 shots in 12 games. When we're used to seeing him manage more than that, uh, two or more shots per game for starters, he's also converting on 20% of the few shots he is taking. Um, and that's making his numbers look better than they should be with this decrease in shots on goal. So you should be happy for now if you've got him, but expect his numbers to drop some from where they're at. And keep that in mind if you're dropping someone else to add him, thinking that he's going to be a long-term solution. He might not be. No, he won't be. I'm not into him. Okay, another guy that I've been saying all year long that I'm not into is Tuka Rask. He's on a nice little run right now. He shut out Philly yesterday in his second straight start. Word is Anton Kudobin will play Monday at Nashville. So, Brian, what are your current thoughts on the goalie situation in Boston? Do you think they're still going to be splitting games between Rask and Kudobin? Are they still in the feeling out phase like they were last week? Or now that Rask just had the shutout, are we back to like Rask being the number one goalie? I know you said like when we first got into the situation, you were like, eventually it's going to be Rask's job. And if you add Kudobin, it's more of a short-term play. Do you think like, now at this point, just forget about Kudobin and drop him? Or do you think it's still going to go back and forth for a little while longer? To hear you tell it, last week was not a feeling out phase. Last week was just supposed to be an extension of Kudobin's taking over of the number one spot in Buffalo. But yeah, what I've said is true. I, I you know, like I'm wrong so often, but I do need to celebrate the times that I'm right. Rask is number one there. Look, he's number one A at worst, so long as he's playing in a serviceable way. Maybe we don't see Tuka Rask on pace for the 62, 63 starts that he's had the last couple seasons. Maybe it's more like mid to high 50s, but still, Tuka Rask should be owned in all leagues. Scoop him up anywhere you see that he's been dropped. (laughs) Expect some valleys and rough starts still to come. He's not perfect. He's going to have some really awful starts but I'm hoping that his worst stretch of the season is now behind him. Yeah, like Tuka Rask is not like an elite fantasy goalie anymore, clearly, but Boston is a good team. So I agree with you. Like, I kind of want to laugh and be like, like he must be owned in all leagues. Like he's not that great. Like maybe he could be average though. And if you're an average goalie on the Boston Bruins who are going to score a lot of goals, then yeah, definitely he he should be owned. And it does look like, well, Kudoba's going to play Monday. What if Kudoba gets a shutout Monday? There might still be some back and forth going, but I agree with you that long-term it's Rask's job now that he's not completely blowing up every single game, or at least not recently. Okay, uh, let's go to Arizona. Jacob Chikrin may return today for Arizona. Has their game started yet? It looks like it has. They're in the second period. Did Jacob Chikrin come back? He has. He's played six minutes, no goals, no assists, no shots. There you go. Up to the minute news about the <laughs> Jacob Chikrin situation over in Arizona. There was word that maybe Antti Ranta would come back and play today, but that hasn't happened. Scott Wedgwood is playing, and Wedgwood had that shutout yesterday against New Jersey. And, oh, wait, looks like now Vegas has just scored a goal. So Yeah, but before that, just before that, Antti Ranta actually tweeted an image of a brick wall. Elon, is he backing up tonight? Like, is he on the bench tweeting? 
No, I think he's still on IR. Okay, because he said live footage of and tagged Scott Wedgwood. And right before that, uh, Coyote's beat writer mentioned that entering the second period tonight, Wedgwood had stopped 83 of 86 shots over this past seven periods for 965 save percentage in that time. So, of course, of course he was going to get scored on within the next three minutes. Don't they know better? Uh, Alex Tuck broke the the shutout streak. But anyway, so what's the situation now? Like, Ranta is probably going to be coming back soon. But... Wedgwood is doing okay now. Is this Ranta's job or now is he going to have to contend with Scott Wedgwood? It's not as if Ranta was... Like, Ranta was actually on a nice little run before he got that second injury. But I'd imagine Arizona doesn't really care. They might as well just go with who's... Uh, or no, I guess it's the other way, right? Like, since they don't care because they're not going to make the playoffs, they might as well try to establish someone as their starting goalie. Yeah, that's what... I, I mean, I think anti-Ranta is still the starter for sure until he somehow shows that he's not capable of it. Scott Wedgwood, as we talked about on the show, has made a case for being an NHL goalie, for being at least an NHL backup, possibly a 1B, possibly more. We'll see if he gets any other chances to push this year. Uh, The thing with Arizona is that whoever's starting for them, they're still not a very great hockey team. So maybe a goalie, Ranta or Wedgwood, can help them, but they are still a bottom shot attempt share team and haven't shown any recent signs of making an improvement upon that, which means that it's uh, not going to be a very happy season the rest of the way. If, if, if they don't turn things around drastically, which a third of the way into the year, I don't know. Chances aren't great. Well, but Jacob Chikrin is back. Does that help at all? <laughs> like, is he good? Like last year he had 20 points in 68 games. I feel like I heard on some podcasts that he's good defensively. I don't know now. I don't, I don't have a source for for this. Uh, he had almost two hits a game and around a, one and a half blocks per game last year. So Chikrin was pretty reasonably relevant in fantasy in a bangers and mash league at least. Do you think that he could get a somewhat prominent role and maybe build on his 20 points from last year? Mm, no. Not especially. Uh, Nothing that I've seen so far suggests that. As for his defensive acumen, uh, based on his numbers from last year, he seems okay to hold down a second pairing role, which is still pretty good. As for fantasy relevance, you can hope for peripherals, but not much offense from him. Okay, another newish name in Arizona right now is Dylan Strome, who was called up at the beginning of last week. He finally scored his first goal of the season yesterday in his fifth game. He had no points before that. Yesterday, he played on the line with Christian Fisher and Anthony Duclair. Didn't get much ice time, so it's hard to get excited about Dylan Strome. A lot of people added him in my Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League division when he got called up, and I think he's already been dropped. So, yeah, I, I said a lot of people added him, didn't I? Like, one person added him in my division, other people added him in other cupful divisions, if that makes sense. Anyways, Dylan Strome, clearly not worth owning right now, or did his goal yesterday somehow make you think that he's got some upside coming soon? Upside still potentially coming soon, but no, that one goal does not make me terribly excited to own him. I was watching him as he was called up, but uh, he remains a deep choice on my watch list not even like in my top five on my watch list probably okay and then let's look at some other arizona forwards like which one of these forwards if any are worth owning in a one-year league right now in arizona we have Derek stepan he had a goal and assist yesterday nine points in his last nine games so he's looking really good seems like he might be able to be the 60 point guy we were expecting at least moving forward, like going into the year, we were high on him and then he really started slow, but he's really turned it on now. Then we have Clayton Keller who started the season strong. He had an assist yesterday, but only has five points in his last 13 games. 
these are not fantasy relevant numbers. I wonder if people could finally just like let go of him in a one-year league. You've got Max Domi, who has had a couple of multi-point games and a whole lot of no-point games in his last 15 games. It just adds up to five points overall in that span, so that's not very relevant. Uh, you've got Perlini, who actually went on a run of four straight games with goals. He had a goal in four straight games, but he's now pointless in three. Seems like, to me, if you're holding anyone on Arizona that's a forward, aside from Derek Stepan, you may be snoozing. You might be. Stepan is the one worth owning right now. On the whole, if you're looking long-term, I still think Keller and Domi are going to provide some fantasy upside through the season. But yeah, right now, Stepan is the only guy doing stuff. Domi in particular has been really disappointing. He's got room for regression in his shooting percentage in IPP to pull up his numbers from where they've been thus far. But I'm not sure he's going to get to that 55-plus point pace that I'd been hoping for, perhaps foolishly, thinking that being surrounded with more talent than he was last year would help jumpstart his quest to eventually reach 60-point upside. Uh, So yeah, no, not fond of Domi. Keller seems up and down, or, well, he's down now. He was up before. So I would choose Stepan to own, then maybe Keller, and that's it. I don't think I'd even really roster Domi in uh, in a shallowish league. And of course, Oliver ekman Larson. but we weren't talking about defensemen. He's been great. Yeah, wait, you said you wouldn't roster Domi? Of course you wouldn't. Did you mean Stepan there? You wouldn't roster Stepan in a shallowish league? No, I would. I would roster Stepan, and then maybe I'd roster Keller, and then Domi, probably not. But even in a deep league, I feel like you might not want Domi. No, yeah, even like, in the deep league. I, I still just think there's some upside there, but you're right. We're, we're seeing so little from him. If there's a lot of similar options in free agency, then you can let him go. Yeah, let him go. He's gone. I'm sure you could get him back later if you want to. Okay, Shea Weber is back for the halves. Jeff Petrie turned out to be a nice pickup in Weber's absence. He had four points in four games before he went pointless yesterday in Weber's return. Petrie's minutes were also way down yesterday now that Weber is back. So it seems like you have to thank Jeff Petrie for his service and then drop him to free agency. But something to keep in mind if and when Weber gets injured again. Petrie does step in and do pretty well in that top a pairing and top power play role. Jonathan Druin is still injured. He could be back soon. We've already talked about the Habs recently. So let's just mention quickly that they and Carey Price are on a huge role right now. They had that crazy 10 to 1 win over Detroit yesterday. One player I'll ask you about that I don't think we've talked about in a while is Alex Galchenyuk, who had four assists yesterday in this destruction of the Red Wings. And he also had four points in four games before that. So Galchenyuk was dropped, I'm sure, in a lot of people's leagues. He was very cold for a long time before this run. Do you think that people need to rush to add Alex Galchenyuk now, or is this just like a short-term thing and he's not going to be able to keep it up? There's a decent shot that Alex Galchenyuk is a better option than your worst forward. So take a look at your roster and check. If your lowest forward doesn't have 55-point pace upside, then make the swap for Galchenyuk. You can always lose him again if he goes cold, and yeah, that could happen I don't know that this scoring is here to stay this year with the up and down season he's had. Uh, He's still not quite a lock because his ice time is still dipping occasionally. But Galchenik is somewhere above a streamer, but below a sure thing roster spot. And that's as, uh, as narrow as I can pin him down at the moment. So there is the upside there. You're looking at bouts of coldness too. But for now, you should probably add him in. Okay, he was playing yesterday with Jacob De La Rose and Paul Byron, but I'd imagine Jonathan Druin might take that Jacob De La Rose spot, and that'll be a nice improvement for Galchenik. He's also getting power play time. What about Pacioretty getting no points in those 10 goals? How frustrating could, must that be as a Pacioretty owner? I wonder who's madder, the Pacioretty owners or the dry side owners? Yeah. Did, did Pacioretty at least get like a bunch of shots? 
I don't know, we'll have to check. Okay, they're probably both really frustrated. Let's go to Florida. Another outjury. Redeem for Bada is back. But unfortunately for him, he didn't get placed back on line two with Vincent Trocek. Yesterday, he played on line three with the mix. Jared McCann and Jamie McGinn. I think I can make that stick. Uh, anyways, yeah, Verbata, he only has one assist in his last seven games. Seems like an obvious drop if you like sort of stashed him in IR and then brought him in. Like, don't bring him in, just drop him if he's not going to be playing with Vincent Trocek on the second line. Of course, what we care about on Florida is who is playing on line one with Barkov and Huberdeau with Dadunov out long term with a shoulder injury. Last week, we said that it looked like it was going to be Colton Sevier based on practice lines. Then it turned out Dennis Malgin played there for a couple of games where he didn't do much. Then yesterday, Nick Bjugstad got the shot on the top line and he scored a goal. So overall on the season, Bjugstad only has 12 points in 26 games on the year. But now that he's on this top line, would you take a flyer on him? Think it can last or do you think they'll just keep mixing this up since they lost again yesterday? So maybe they need to try someone new. Well, again, before Bjugstad, there was briefly Colton Sevier and then, like you said, Malgin and Hapala also took turns in Dadanov's even strength and power play spot. So it seems like Florida is happy to mix it up until, well, I don't know exactly what result they're looking for. So maybe Bjorkstad gets in, does well and sticks. But don't you think there's a chance that riding Verbata ends up there and actually makes it work? It's possible. So it'll be interesting to see. Definitely, this is the kind of situation where if you can wait right until game time and see what the practice lines are, it might be worth grabbing that guy because Barkov and Huberdeau, they're great. You want the player playing with them for sure. It's just hard to know who it's going to be right now while Dadunov is out. Why did Dadunov have to get injured? Come on, you were doing so well. We were promoting hashtag Team Dadunov. Why does this have to happen? All these injuries, like this one wasn't this week, all these goalie injuries also, it's devastating. Is there? I want someone to come up with a way to play fantasy hockey where injuries don't hurt you as much. I don't know if someone has a clever idea like that. I mean, I don't think it would be too hard. You would just have to go on paces, right? So you just take whatever pace the player was on before his injury. But what if he was on like an unsustainable pace? So then maybe, well, yeah. So maybe what you need to do is you need to penalize them just slightly for every week they're out. So you don't get the full value of the injured player. Maybe you get 50% of the value of your injured player at their per game stats. Yeah, maybe, and you go over their like last three years stats, and not just like the anyway. Okay, let's we'll do a think tank maybe later <laughs> on in the season, or maybe that sounds like more of a summer series episode to do. Uh, okay, next outjury, Alex Wenberg has returned to the Columbus Blue Jackets, one assist in three games since returning, pointless and shotless in his last two games. Yesterday, Wenberg centered Nick Foligno and Sonny Milano. I'm starting to realize I'm asking this question a lot to you this week, Brian. Is Wenberg a snoozer at this point? Is it time for people to let him go? He's not doing anything. He's not on a good line. What is there in terms of a reason to hold Alex Wenberg? There really isn't. He's a snoozer, but still a snoozer to be watched very closely. It's been really deflating, though, to see Wenberg come back and then have his ice time decrease with every game he plays since returning from his injury. He had 17 minutes in his return. Then it went to 16. Then it went to 12 in his most recent game. Uh, He's available in a lot of leagues, and I think that's about right until he gets rolling. If Wemberg ever puts up a little like run, though, uh, he's a pretty quick ad to be made. Once we see some offense starting to peek through, I'm pretty ready to jump on him to see if he can keep it up. Yeah, I still remember people talking about him as like a potential 70-point guy this year. This was, of course, assuming that he was going to be clicking with Panarin and Atkinson. He doesn't even play on a line with them. And Cam Atkinson is cold as well. Pointless in four, only nine points in 23 games overall. Same deal as Wenberg. Time to give up on Cam Atkinson? Atkinson, I'm not so ready to give up on. He's been a victim of an anemic power play, a low IPP, and some slightly low percentages. I don't know 
that Atkinson is someone you can give up on completely, especially because he's still on pace to match or exceed last year's career-high shots on goal mark of 240, which is not an insignificant number of shots on goal if your league counts them. Certainly a guy to keep on your bench, though, on busy nights. If you had the misfortune of drafting him in a league where he's too valuable to drop for nothing and you don't want to sell low on him, I get it, but I would not drop him the same way I would let go of Wenberg. Right, and I guess also those shots on goal are the thing that differentiates him a little bit. But yeah, very disappointing. And of course, if we're going to say that Wenberg and Atkinson are snoozers, then that must mean that the Panarin-Anderson-Dubois line is the awakening. Panarin is finally heating up! Five points in his last four games. Pierre-Luc Dubois is also hot in his last four with one goal and five assists in that span. Josh Anderson had already been hot for a while. He has seven points in his last six games. Are you rushing to add Anderson or Dubois if either is available right now? Would you drop Wenberg and or Atkinson for either of those guys? And who do you like best between Anderson and Pierre-Luc Dubois? Here's an about face moment for us or maybe just me, Elon. I definitely thought Josh Anderson was done playing with anyone that allowed him relevance. And it looks like that's not the case now that he's with Panarin and Pierre-Luc Dubois, or affectionately known as PLD. It's very nice of Artemi Panarin to let out his coattails for these guys to ride. I'm not so convinced that they'd be putting up these numbers with any other third piece. Of course, I'm happy to have Anderson or Dubois on my own team for the moment, more so than Wenberg, but I would still be too afraid of the long-term implications to drop Ken Atkinson for either one. So yeah, own Josh Anderson, own Pierre-Luc Dubois. Don't drop anyone who still has long-term upside. Harsh, Brian. Like, maybe they're not riding coattails. Isn't Pierre-Luc Dubois a really highly rated traffic? He was drafted ahead of Jesse Pugliarvi, if I recall correctly. He is, but what has he done in the NHL so far? He just started, and he's on a hot run. <laughs> exactly, he just started. He's barely even been there. He's barely even qualified to play in the NHL. He shouldn't even be allowed to be in the NHL. I don't. Come on. All right. So wait, did you answer who? Actually, you know, that's really unfair. Like he's playing in his first pro year. He was the third overall pick. You're right, Elon. He had not a very good performance over his first like six weeks of his NHL career. So it's not fair to paint him with that brush after a very strong junior career. Uh, Now, of course, things are going well. And maybe maybe the first real opportunity he's had. I just remember last year there was question of if he was going to be ready. He wasn't. All right. Now we're here. Maybe he's not riding coattails. Maybe Artemi Panarin is riding his coattails. <laughs> Maybe. So did you answer, who do you like better between Anderson and Dubois if they're both available in free agency and you're holding Alex Wenberg and you need an improvement? Man, I don't know. I see them as pretty darn equal. Anderson seems to be the guy who finds himself in a good deployment situation more often, whereas Dubois certainly has the better pedigree for being someone who can produce. I am going to say, I don't know. Who do okay. you like better? Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Anderson. He's been doing well for longer this season. Chris in the chat room is saying, wow, Fantasy Robot going to regret a lot of this. Chris, share us a top five list of the things you think Brian is going to regret that he said this episode. And I'll definitely share it before the end of the show. I'd like to hear that. Okay, let's go to some hot streaks. Uh, Not much of a streak yet. Ottawa defenseman Thomas Shabbat finally got into a game on Friday and he put up a goal and two assists in the 6-5 win over the Islanders. That brings him up to one goal and five assists in six games going into today. Though I mentioned that Ottawa was getting destroyed by Winnipeg. They still have no goals. So obviously Shabbat doesn't have any points. He has one shot 
I don't know. Like, what do we think about Thomas Shabbat? Is he someone people should jump on? Obviously, a lot of people added him after his strong game on Friday. But at the end of the day, even though he is getting power play time, like he's getting in a good situation here. But I don't know. Like, how high should we expect Shabbat's value to go this season? As high as you can expect any second pairing defenseman whose coach still really hasn't committed to him. It's clear in Ottawa that the general manager, Pierre Dorian, has wanted Shabbat to stick for a while, but Guy Boucher has not had him as part of his plans. And with Shabbat's recent appearances on the score sheet, he's certainly making it harder for Boucher to look the other way. And to be completely honest, with Chris Weidman out long term from the Sens lineup, Shabbat could be the best fit to be playing on that second pairing with Fanouf, which was where he started tonight's disaster of a game. Uh, So I don't know if we can say it worked if they went down 5-0. I haven't gotten to see what role he played in any of those goals. So as for his fantasy value, I'm all for grabbing him in deeper leagues as a top four defenseman with some offensive upside. But keep in mind that one, he's still got to prove himself to his coach who, I don't know, for one reason or another, is not bought in yet. And two, Shabbat is stuck very firmly behind Eric Carlson for any kind of relevant power play role. Yeah, and number three... Ottawa Senators kind of suck. Like, even Eric Carlson himself has now gone eight games in a row. Pointless might be nine after today. Like, the Sens scored six goals. Another guy who's supposed to be getting a lot of points that didn't get in on a bunch of offense. Sens scored six goals on Friday. Eric Carlson remained pointless. Brian, I've heard some rumblings. One of our patrons that we chat with was telling us that he's worried Carlson is maybe still suffering from his injury, that he had surgery, you know, that ankle situation. Are you concerned about Eric Carlson? Like, have you been reading? I know you're in Ottawa. You followed the Ottawa media super closely. Has he looked like he's lost a step? Is he not playing as strongly as he did last year? No, I haven't heard anything concrete. Yes, they're they're always whisperings. If he's struggling this much, Maybe there's got to be something wrong, but the whole team is a disaster. It's not like everything else is running well, although usually if Eric Carlson is not running well, then that has a pretty big impact on the rest of the Ottawa Senators. I'm not about to jump into saying that maybe there's an issue with him. Uh, I guess we'll just have to watch and see. We are certainly grasping at reasons to try and figure out exactly why he is not doing the things we're, we're used to seeing him do. I'm wondering if it's a team-wide thing. It's really like it's a chicken or egg thing. Is the team suffering because he's not doing well or is he suffering because the team's not doing well? Probably a little bit of both. I'm not uh, about to get into any conspiracy theories based on injury news that we have not heard from official sources. Even though that can sometimes be helpful, it's usually not reliable. Sure. Okay, so you're still saying Eric Carlson is going to be fine. Like, buy low if you can because he's Eric freaking Carlson, right? Yeah, go for it. All right, and then uh, this is obviously not as relevant now, I'm realizing. I was going to tell you about how Craig Anderson got pulled in that game versus the Islanders. Mike Condon came in and got the win. Coach Guy Boucher said after the game that Condon will play today versus the Jets, and if he plays well, they may run with him for a while. Well, Condon did not play well today versus the Jets. He got pulled after letting in five goals. So I guess Craig Anderson is back in. I was going to ask you if maybe people should be grabbing Mike Condon if he's going to get an extended run of starts. But Craig Anderson now has stopped all 19 shots he's faced at this point in the game. So I guess we could just kind of forget about that and move on. Sure, we can. I was ready. Like, I prepared a little piece to say. And you know what? I don't think that the Sens performance tonight is going to be pinned on Condon. They gave up 22 shots in less than 30 minutes which is awful. They had like five shots themselves in that span. 
if you look at the Ottawa goaltender situation and you want to blame a guy, you could choose Craig Anderson. My projection of tier two Craig Anderson has just not panned out so far. Curiously, he's the one who should have the better even strength save percentage of the two Ottawa goalies based on, well, A, career history and B, the shots they faced, according to many Elks expected goals model over on Corsica. But clearly, uh, it hasn't been the case that he's been able to have the better even strength save percentage. Ottawa has a lot of problems sort out at the moment. Goaltending is but one of them. I'm not surprised to see them try and shake things up in the crease in hopes of a ripple effect for great returns for the whole team. Uh, obviously, that is not the way things worked tonight. Okay, let's go to another hot streak now. We're supposed to be in happy news here. I, You know, when I wrote about Thomas Shabbat, that was before this horrible game today. I didn't realize it would be sad talk about the Sens. Okay, let's go to Vancouver. We mentioned Louis Erickson last week doing well on the Canucks. I hope you added him after you listened to our show. He got an assist against the Islanders. Two goals at Nashville. So that was the Tuesday and Thursday games. No points, but three shots yesterday versus Toronto. Seems like Erickson and the Sedins and Horvat and Brock Besser are all worth owning on the Canucks right now. And it's been a while since the Canucks have had so many fantasy-relevant forwards. They're all doing pretty well. Also, it's the first time in a while, I think, that I'm ready to say that Alex Edler should probably be owned in most formats. And that's actually something we haven't said about any Vancouver defenseman for a while. I was kind of into Michael Delzato earlier in the year. But now that Edler's back, he's totally taken whatever role I thought Delzato was being slotted in for. So Edler, he's the clear top power play D-man on a power play with the Sedins, Horvat, and Besser. So that's a pretty good top unit. Edler has five points in his last seven games. He's also putting up decent shot, hit, and blocks numbers. So in a bangers and mash league, he's really filling all of the categories. Top power play defensemen are so hard to find in free agency usually. So here's a chance to get one on a team that may be more offensive than people want to give them credit for. I feel like, Brian, is it crazy for me to say that if Edler could stay healthy, he has a legit chance to hit 40 points this year? No, it's not. Uh, it's not unreasonable. I don't know if he can with the time he's missed, but he can at least be on pace to hit 40 points. He's what we hoped you know, he, he's in the role that Delzada was in when we liked him. He's in the role that Troy Stetcher had at one point, and we were excited that maybe he could do it. I, I think what we've learned is that there is one Canucks defenseman who can be capable of a 40-point pace through the season in that role, and it is Alex Edler, though it's still not a sure thing. 35 points would be a safer bar to aim for with him. And we should also give props, by the way, you mentioned the Sedins quickly as, as being on that top power play unit. The Sedins and Louis Erickson, that line, amazing. Louis Erickson and the Sedins, all fantasy relevant again. Very exciting for Canucks fans, I'd imagine. And they have lots of good prospects coming in. I know that Cam Robinson, our valued patron who's been on the show a couple of times, he's a Canucks writer as well as a writer for a bunch of other things. Anyways, he's he's very happy right now. He also predicted Brock Besser going into the year. So we have to give him some props for that going well. Okay, uh, yeah, but Alex Edler, he's really, he's really good. I feel like oh, there's a lot of people who probably don't want to add him, don't think he's very good. I feel like in almost any league you're in, you should consider adding Alex Edler if he's in free agency. Tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson, if you want us to help you decide who to drop for him. Okay, uh, saving something big for the end of the show, Brad. We don't want to give up all the exciting news. But yeah, something really big happened last week. It was on Tampa Bay, fantasy-wise I'm talking. They changed their lines for the first time this year. We've been talking all year long how Nemes Nikov is like a must own on Tampa potential like 70 point upside if he plays all year with Kucherov and Stamkos but it has happened the worst has happened or maybe not the worst because he's still the top six but yeah something has happened and his owners have reason to be a little concerned now because Tampa has changed up their lines they went four straight games scoring two or less goals so I guess they decided they wanted to do something yesterday here was the new setup 
Kucherov with Point and Palat, and then Nemesnikov with Tyler Johnson and Steven Stamko. So let's look at the list of who are the winners and losers for this shakeup in Tampa Bay. It seems like a great deal for Braden Point and Andre Palat, who upgrade Yanni Gourd to Kucherov as their winger. So that line goes from being, I guess, line two to probably line one, or either way, just like playing with Kucherov, definitely more points are going to come for Point and Palat, who are already doing okay. So if you were worried, like, oh, how good can Point and Palat really be playing with Andy Gourd? All of a sudden now, they play with Kucherov. Great. Also, great deal for Tyler Johnson. He moves out of the bottom six onto the Stamkos line. Tyler Johnson was probably a free agent in a lot of leagues, probably still is. Might be a great time to add him. Also, I think Tyler Johnson was on left wing yesterday with Stamkos centering, so he might get some extra eligibility coming soon, which will help. Probably he's only center eligible right now in most formats. This is a bit of a downgrade, I guess, for Nemesnikov as he loses Kucherov as a winger and gets Tyler Johnson instead playing with Stamkos. So not horrible for him, but not that like amazing line of Kucherov, Stamkos, and Nemesnikov. Yanni Gourd, to me, instant snoozer if you somehow still owned him. He goes to the bottom six playing with nobodies. Brian, are you changing your assessment on any of these players like I just have for like since it's only been one game of these new lines? So I can imagine you're just going to say, don't even worry about it. They're going to, they were doing so well for so long. They're probably going to switch back soon. And then I'm going to counter. I'm just going to have this whole conversation myself, actually. I'm going to counter, Brian, and say Tampa won yesterday and they scored five goals after going four straight with two or less with the old configuration. So I feel like they're going to stick with these lines for a bit longer. So anyways, you could sort of comment on what you want. I'd be curious to like how you rank this top six in Tampa Bay. Like who would you want the most? Who would you want the least? Okay. Uh, well, you've had the whole conversation. It's funny because at the start of the year, I was – stupidly, we can say in retrospect, being, oh, well, you know, Nemesnikov can get moved off at any point, so you might want to sell high, or you might not want to buy too high on him if you have the chance to acquire him. And then, of course, he was fantastic, and now the lines are changing, and I'm going to say, well, you know, don't worry, Nemesnikov was there for 20-something games. He's probably going to end up back with Stamkos and Kucherov. The thing is that they couldn't change the lines when that line was rolling so well. Um, and actually, looking at how the points were meted out, amongst Tampa Bay players, all those points being scored by the top line. And then you had Braden Point being the only one to get power play one time. That was leaving Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson sort of out in the cold. Elon, can you guess the name of the fifth highest scorer on Tampa as of right now? Uh, Yanni Gourd? No. Do you want to try again? Well, the fifth highest, like, uh, I have to work out who the top four are. Okay, Kucherov, Stamkos, Nemesnikov are the top three. I'd assume Braden Point has been uh-huh. great. So I assume he's number four. Uh, so I guess not Tyler Johnson, not Palat. You're saying not Yanni Gourd. Victor Hedman? It's Mikhail Sergachev. Oh, 18 yeah. points so far this year. What a pickup for anyone who's added him. He is, oh, I want to bring up Jonathan Duran's numbers right now. I feel like he's got as many or more than Jonathan Duran. Maybe right. you can <laughs> Uh, without having, look, I'm just bringing it up now, but yeah, less than Jonathan Druin. Druin has 17 points in 25 games. Druin's been a bit of a disappointment. So that's more than Jonathan Druin. Sorry, that's what I meant. Druin has less. Okay, got it. So we, we've appropriately heckled all Habs fans. Sorry about that. Uh, who knows how the lines shake out in Tampa for the long term? Uh, I think Palat and Johnson are in great shape here. I see them as two forwards who get a nice bump in deployment while the rich, that is Stamkos and Kucherov, perhaps take a small hit from being split up. Uh, if I were to rank the whole top six, it's not much different from before, to be honest. At least on the top end, you still have Kucherov, Stamkos, Nemesnikov, and then Point. And then I will have Andre Palat and Tyler Johnson rounding out the top six instead of Yanni Gord or Alex Killorn or Ryan Callahan 
Wait, is he even still there? No. Chris Kunitz. <laughs> yeah, these are bottom six guys. We don't have to worry about them. Uh, Braden Point was doing so well on that second line. And now all of a sudden he goes and plays with Kucherov. I think I might, like still Nemestikov's on the top power play. We'll see if he can last there. I think Braden Point might have jumped ahead of Nemestikov for me. It's hard to say. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, next Hot streak, Brian. There's all these goalie injuries out there, and there's one goalie who might be available in your free agency who's been hot, may be available. I'm talking about Yaroslav Halak over on the Islanders. Overall in the year, he has a lowly 905 save percentage, but Halak is a 923 save percentage goalie over the past couple of weeks. He's actually won his last two starts, and after Thomas Grice blew up against Ottawa on Friday, Halak came in and played well, so I'd imagine he's going to get the next start for the Islanders. Of course, like one bad game, it could be Grice's net again. But for now, I think Halak is worth rolling with, maybe even over someone like Forsberg or Brossois or Condon or any of these other backups. Like, I still definitely want Tristan Jari. I already told you people, go at Tristan Jari. There better not be someone listening who who has Tristan Jari as a free agent in their league right now. I'll be very disappointed in you. But aside from him, I feel like if Halak is available, he's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, he really is. And of course, in contrast to Grace, he's definitely looking good. Came in after Grace blew up, almost was able to salvage a win, still put up good numbers on his own. I think this is a pendulum in New York that we're going to see swinging back and forth all year long. Uh, If you're not looking for starts, for quantity, and you're just looking for numbers, I might take Halak ahead of Brassois and Condon. Uh, Not necessarily Forsberg, though, for as long as he's the starter in Chicago while Crawford's injured, which who knows quite how long that's going to be. But, you know, this is a pattern. Halak plays a good game or two, blows up. Grice plays a good game or two, blows up. One thing that they both have going for them, though, is that they're playing for the NHL's highest scoring team. The Islanders are giving serious run support to their goalies to the tune of 3.7 goals per game. So even with Halak's and Grice's blowups, those guys can still snatch a victory here and there with that kind of offense in front of them. Elon, I'm wondering, you know, I was thinking of if this is a pair you want to handcuff. I don't think they're so much in demand that you need to handcuff them. Like you could probably just spot them as the pendulum swings back and forth or use other spot starters. But if you were to handcuff them, I'm trying to think, are there any other handcuff possibilities in fantasy this year? We talked so much about 1A and 1B over the last few years and that if you get this goalie, you better get the other goalie in the tandem because you never know who's going to be the starter. Is New York one of the unique situations in the league all of a sudden where you do need to try and own both goalies if you want to guarantee yourself a significant chunk of their starts? Mm, Okay, so off the top of my head, we have Boston, who we already talked about, right, earlier in the show. So right now, it looks like you might want to have the handcuff. I know you're already saying no, so I'm I'm just throwing it out there, but no, probably not. The only other team that I think might qualify is Vancouver, right? With Markstrom and Nilsson, they've both definitely been going back and forth. There's a question as to, like, if you want these guys. But Canucks scoring some goals. Like we said, like Erickson and the Sedins and all these people doing really well. Besser and Horvat. Okay, so yeah, I'd say the Canucks tandem are probably comparable. But definitely, I'd rather have the Islanders tandem. Though I don't really want Thomas Grace. I think Halak is better. I think that it's dumb that they've gone back and forth. I think the Islanders would be better off if they just went with Halak as their starting goalie all year long. It's an interesting theory. I just don't know that he'd be able to handle that. It doesn't seem like either guy has been able to put up two or three consecutive strong starts in a row. But uh, hey, it's sort of working out this way. They're still okay. They have as many wins as Pittsburgh. So maybe they can just keep going back and forth. 
Yeah. Uh, Chris is saying in the chat, I think they have a stud in the minors. Maybe. I don't think they're going to be dropping one of their goalies right now. Maybe it's the kind of situation where if one gets injured, then this guy from the minors might come in. Brian, I don't know if you could like look up this person's name or Chris, you could tell us in the chat room here. But yeah, like maybe if like someone gets injured, then this guy from the minors comes in and then takes the job. But uh, I don't know. I think like last year with Steve Mason, right, in Philly, like a lot of people were saying that Mason wasn't given the opportunity to get on a roll. I'd like to see them give Halak the opportunity to go on a roll. He's still a good goalie, in my opinion. Anyways, who cares? Let's move on. Brian, by the way, do we need to do about face and like restart the whole episode? Like a bunch of things we said have turned out to be wrong. Like Brent Seabrook has an assist for Chicago today. So now you can hold on to him for another month, maybe before you decide to drop him. You must be happy about that. Uh, Jacob Chikrin watch, you know, <laughs> he got a goal. So all of a sudden, and Max Domi assisted. So everything we said about Jacob Chikrin and Max Domi, you could throw out the window, right? Absolutely everything. Yes. Forget everything we've said. Jacob Chikrin, offensive superstar, Max Domi. You know, like I looked at his numbers again. He's still been a half point per game player when things aren't going well. So you know it's going to come. I don't know. I didn't want to be pushed into saying you need to drop him. It really depends on what sort of other options are available in your league. If you're in a league where 50 point forward is hard to find, I would still preach patience for Max Domi. Easier said than done. And by the way, Ilya Sorokin is the name of the Isles goaltending prospect who is currently in the KHL. And uh, I don't know, every year, or maybe not every year, but the talk is like, oh, is he going to come to North America this year? Hasn't happened yet. Expect that it could. Okay, but obviously he can't get called in then if there's an injury, if he's playing in the KHL right now. No. Uh, Brian, also, come on, Max Domi, get, get over it. Like, he got an assist. Players are, no one's saying that Max Domi is going to go pointless all year long. Like, I think, I feel in general, like, sometimes we, like, say a player is, like, snoozing or not doing well, and then they get a point the next day, and it makes us feel like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have said, but, you know, we're never saying these guys are gonna get nothing. Like, I didn't think Jacob Truba wasn't gonna get a point again for the rest of the year. He's just not getting deployed in a way where I expect the points to come regularly. Okay, I'm ranting. Let's do another hot streak. Brian, you wanted me to bring up Jake Gardner this week. He has a goal and four assists in his last five games. Seems like Morgan Riley got more power play time yesterday. And actually, Morgan Riley got his first point in eight games. So I'm assuming you like Gardner better than Riley at this point. To me, they both seem like kind of boring. I'd almost rather have shot blocking extraordinaire Nikita Zaitsev and at least get those for sure peripherals. I don't know why you're assuming I like Riley better. I own Riley. I drafted him in one league. Are you Are you going to explain why? No, I asked you. I said that I think you like Gardner better. Yeah. So what? Okay. So maybe I misspoke. But why? Why do you assume that? I don't know. You told me that you thought Gardner is playing really well, and I see that he has five points in the last five games, and Riley's been really cold. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me. What do you think? <laughs> I. You know, when you assume, you make it. No. Uh, I still like Riley between the two, but Gardner. The reason for bringing him up is, is he's starting to reemerge, starting to show signs of life again, finally finding himself consistently on the right side of the shot attempts battle for the first time this season after a really rough start for Gardner, in which his mojo just didn't seem to be there. We talked about that being because of him not having the right partnership on defense, but he is still playing with Nikita Zaitsev, so maybe there's hope for them as a defensive pair yet. And keep in mind that Gardner does play on a pretty solid power play unit even if he's not in the top unit like the Leafs spread it out on one unit they have Marner Van Riemsdyk Kadri and Marlowe on the other they have Matthews Nylander Komarov and uh I forget who it was most recently I think Josh Levo on the other anyway I'm saying Jake Gardner is worth watching especially if you're a Riley owner and you've gotten complacent thinking that like this is over Riley owns the best offensive production spot for the Leafs the rest of the season he's the best Toronto blue line fantasy own uh, Gardner is not 
been totally pushed out of the picture. He's making his way back into it, and you should be aware of it. In fact, I own Riley in the cupful, and I added Gardner a couple days ago just to cover my bases. Yeah. I don't know. Both of them seem kind of boring. It's surprising. Like with Toronto being such a high scoring team, you'd expect their defensemen to be more exciting to own. But so far that hasn't been the case aside from blocks King Nikita Zaitsev. But Brian, someone else who's been kind of boring on Toronto lately is Mitch Marner. He's pointless in six. We thought the sad times were over as he was putting up a really nice run in like early to mid November after getting back in the top six. Remember he was like pushed down to the bottom six being taught a lesson for weak play. He got back in the top six, went on a really nice run. Now he's ice cold again. Is it just bad luck this time? Like we look at his underlying numbers and say Mitch Marner's been fine and he's just going pointless recently because of whatever, missed shots or things like that. Or is Marner potentially someone that people have to start thinking about dropping if it's a one-year league? He's just been on one of his better shot on goal runs of the year. 15 shots for Mitch Marner over his last four games, which is way above his full season average. That still sits at under two shots per game, even with that run. So it's promising to see the shots coming, but no doubt he's another frustrating guy to own this year who I feel he's got like the Connor Sheary sort of edit where when he's producing, you really want him when he's not. You can probably say goodbye, except I do think he'll be relevant a little more often than Connor Sheeran has a little more potential to put on longer runs. And Elon, while we're in Toronto, how about we talk about William Nylander, who just came off, uh, he just had a four-game point streak snap where he had one goal and five assists for six points. His shot counts have actually dropped lately. Uh, I don't know. I'm not making anything big of that, though. Anyway, Nylander was available in a couple of my shallower leagues, so if anyone was impatient in yours and dropped him, uh, he's probably a little better than Marner for offensive bursts and ideally something sustained long-term, but the Leafs are doing a bit of mixing and matching at the moment, so keep an eye on lines to know exactly what you want to do on a night-to-night basis with Nylander and Marner. Okay, yeah, I like Nylander. I have him in a pretty shallow league myself, and I decided to hold on. Helps when you're in first place, and you could just sort of chill for a bit. I also have Clefbaum in that league. Maybe come playoff time, if I need to, these guys will have to go if they're slow, but for now, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to throw in one more unscripted hot streak, and that is JT Comfer, who uh, did not get a point against Dallas tonight. Also did not get any power play time. Also... Well, okay, I don't know if these numbers I'm looking at are totally accurate because it says he only played seven and a half minutes. If that's true, then that's bad news. But he was playing... Uh, Brian, let uh, me stop you. This this unscripted thing does not work for you. So JT Comfort, for people who don't know, is on Colorado. They're yeah. only in the second period. Oh, so the game's I, not over yet. I thought it was over. Okay, so there's plenty of time for him to work his way back up to the minutes he's been seeing lately, which have been in the 18 to 20 minute region he had going into tonight's game uh, two goals and an assist for three points in his last four. He's had 12 shots in those four games as well. He takes a few faceoffs for those people who count them. He has four power play points on the season, in large part thanks to this current run in which he's had two power play points because he's found himself on the top unit with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen. And I guess Alexander Kerfoot has been the most frequent other guy on that line. So if you're looking for a top power play guy in your free agent list, JT Comfer could be could be worth a shot. And Brian, do you know why JT Comfer and Kerfoot and Nelia Kapov also have taken turns on that top line? Tell me. You know, because Because Landeskog is suspended and when he comes back, who knows what'll happen. You're right. I, I didn't I didn't offer the extra context before. But for while he's gone, JT Comfer 
And hey, yeah. even when he's back, maybe he stays there instead of Kerfoot, although that's really impossible to say. <laughs> Definitely not. You're totally wrong. This is a bad take. We just did actually a really fun hot takeoff with our patrons last week. It's available in our patron extra content feed where the patrons submitted takes. And then a panel of myself, Brian, and Dave Benton, a really funny guy. We were judging the takes and giving them scores out of 10. And I, if, if someone came in, Brian, and said JT Comfer is going to stay on the top line even when Landis Gog is back and be fantasy relevant moving forward, I would give you a big fat one out of 10. But hey, I could be wrong. For sure. Wow. Harsh. Now <laughs> I know how all our patrons felt when we ranked their takes between no and three on average. Yeah, I had a really fun time, by the way. It's fun to get sassy with the patrons. I feel like I can't insult people who are just regular listeners. because I'm trying to suck up to you people to convince you to be patrons. Once I have you as a patron, though I guess if you are a patron of the podcast, you could quit at any time. But why would you? We're so <laughs> nice to our patrons. Become a patron. You, ju- you just said how you love being chirpy with the patrons well i meant to say we're nice to them and that we give them so much bonus content and bonus uh fantasy advice and bonus insults yeah you get it all keeping carlson.com slash patron to get our fun hot takeoff which was by the way also hosted by john reed another really cool guy and he did a great job as the host okay where where were we here jt comfort Get, get out of here okay i got a couple cold streaks to end the show So Buffalo doesn't score anymore, apparently. They went almost four games without a goal before scoring in the third period against Tristan Jari yesterday. Should I just be like, uh, let's not worry about all the... Because obviously now there's a bunch of Sabres players who are pointless in a long stretch, but that makes sense considering the team hasn't scored. So I I feel like it would be silly to be like, oh, Jack Eichel, oh, Evander Kane, all these people who were doing really well before. Hopefully Buffalo will figure things out and learn to score again. One player, though, who's really starting to irk me and starting to make me feel like he can be dropped, kind of like how I felt about Ocposo before. And I was finally like, yeah, you guys should probably drop Ocposo. Now I feel or at least I'm starting to feel this way about Ryan O'Reilly. So I saw him as a 65-point guy going into this year, maybe with upside for more. He's pointless in six now. When he had 16 points in 21 games a couple weeks ago, I was feeling pretty good about him. Now his 16 points in 27 games looks pretty bad. Brian, we have him in our joint league where there are centers eligible and available like Thornton, Galchenyuk, Stepan, Koivu, Felino. I'm starting to wonder, like, are we snoozing holding on to Ryan O'Reilly when we need a center, or do you expect him to bounce back? With those sorts of players available, now we only have three moves a week, so it's hard to say in our specific situation. But if you're in a similar situation in your league with no move limits, with those guys available, it seems like an obvious move to start streaming him out. The Sabres are terrible at even strength. I would not expect their scoring to improve over the rest of the season at five on five. I would expect them to improve on the power play, though. Remember, they were missing Ristolainen for a good chunk of time. So that probably led to a decrease in power play production. Plus, on the whole, they're actually just not getting breaks that you would expect them to be getting. So for that reason, you could add on like a handful of points to what you could expect Ryan O'Reilly to have had by now. Let's say they had six more power play goals, which is totally within reason. It's reasonable to think O'Reilly could have been in on about four of them. And then 20 points in 27 games would look a little better than 16 points for sure. But instead of waiting around, if you have a lot of guys like Thornton, Galchenyuk, Stepan, Koivu, you can probably swap all those guys around for whoever's hot. Yeah. 
disappointing. I just really like Ryan O'Reilly. Like going into the year, I thought he's really good. I still think he's a really good player. He's still, you know, on the top power play and in the top six. We might just have to wait a little while for the Sabres to learn how to score goals again. I do expect him to get in on the goals once they start happening. Okay, one more center, Brian, whose overall numbers actually look good, but I think maybe a mirage. I want to get your take here. Paul Stasny. Overall, he has 20 points in 27 games, but he's only got one assist in his last five games now over in St. Louis. Interestingly, the Blues have changed up their lines just recently. They swapped Tarasenko and Alex Steen. So the lines were Schwartz with Shannon Steen and then Sabatka with Stasny and Tarasenko. So that almost makes me think when I was going to say for sure, time to maybe let go of Paul Stasny if he's on the second line and not on the top power play. But if he's playing with Vladimir Tarasenko, maybe that could be good. Maybe that won't even last though. Probably it won't, right? So should Brian, people be looking to swap out Paul Stasny at this point? He was on such a great run in an unlikely situation on his team. Do you think he can keep it up or do you think it's time to maybe say goodbye? His line has done a fantastic job of driving play. That's him, Sabatka, and Alex Steen over the last uh, five, seven games, and actually most of the year. Stasny's good at his job, but his job is often to help anchor other lines as opposed to being someone who gets the cash in on a lot of goals scored. Playing with Alex Steen and Vladimir Sabatka, not the greatest place to be. Yeah, of course, if he ends up playing with Tarasenko for a few games, he's valuable there, and then... His, the fact that he plays four games this week, that might be enough to lift him above whoever else you're thinking of. However, if he plays three of those four games away from Tarasenko and back with Steen and Sabatka, then you're not expecting to get a whole lot out of him. So, yeah, a lot of deployment is really where we come down on Paul Stasny. If he's still in your lineup, it's definitely time to at least reevaluate if there is not a better option in free agency. Yeah, maybe give him one more week since the Blues, like you say, play four games this week and he's starting the week, maybe playing with Tarasenko. But if at the end of this week, he only gets like one or two points, maybe it'll be time going into next week to finally let him go. Okay, Brian, we did it. Another episode of Keeping Carlson in the Books, episode 167. Can you believe it? Just how many years ago now? Ah, Whatever. I guess we don't have to be nostalgic this very moment, but exciting that we've done so many. We've kept going all season long. Every week, we're trying our best to bring you guys all the fancy relevant news to help you be successful in your leagues. We hope you like the show. Let us know what you think. You can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with your feedback. You can also ask us fancy hockey questions. We try to get back to you within a day or so. You know, we do our best. So it's hard sometimes to keep up on Twitter, but we really appreciate all of your questions and we try our to like help you and hopefully we've given good advice to those of you who have tweeted at us in the past you can also show your appreciation for the show if you want to you don't have to just listening is even good but if you wanted to go give us a five-star review on itunes we obviously always appreciate that we also have our patron program where we hand out a ton of perks you can just give us like five dollars a month buy one of us a beer every month just because you like the show and you want to throw us some money to you know help support the show but we're going to also give you a lot for it. So you have access to our bonus shows. We actually have an opening in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League right now. If you sign up to be a patron, you could take that spot, which is open right now. Sometimes teams go inactive and we have to fill them with new patrons. We've got our Facebook group. We've got other cool perks. You can check it all out at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you, Brian, the maestro of the matchup, go ahead and read us the credits. Oh my gosh. And just in case anyone missed that the first time. Also, Elon, we reference our, our notes a lot and, and what we've prepared. You get to read those at a certain level of patronage, so you can check that out too. Thank you uh, for listening. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including our newest ones, Kevin H., Ian R., Jamie F., Mike C., Chris M., 
thank you very much for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospect, Corsica, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Puck on Net, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job, as always, Brian. I feel like we didn't argue as much this week as usual. So look at us doing a little better. We still argued a bit, though, to be fair. But anyways, great job. Looking forward to doing this all again with you next week, talking to you on our mailbag show on Thursday. It's so fun. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Yeah. Maybe uh, William Carlson. Eric oh, Carlson. my gosh. Eric Carlson kind of sucks right now. Feeling, feeling sassy right now, huh? <laughs> <laughs>